Next year, I'm going to give up spreadsheets for 40 days and 40 nights. It's going to be Excel Lent. <laughs> but it's not because you'll be giving up spreadsheets. It'll just be Lent. Yes. Uh, Did I tell you I've just bought a Van Gogh coffee table? Yeah, it's in great condition. It's just missing a bit of veneer. Uh, yeah, great. Look, my whole career has been a very thin veneer of nonsense over the top of absolutely <laughs> nothing, and it's got me this far. Don't tell everyone. Oh, I'm only telling Mark at this stage. Right, here we go. When does Friday come before Thursday, Ben? I don't know. In the dictionary. Oh, that's not a joke so much as a, a fact. <laughs> yeah. I think you're fine. <laughs> Shall we do an intro then? Yes. Who's doing the intro this evening? I feel like it's not me. I think it's Blanford. I only think it's Blanford because I don't want to do it and use the Blanford. Yeah, I'm quite happy to do it. It's fine. Just think of this as a learning opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity, you should say. Thank you for the opportunity, Ben. Your thoughtfulness never fails to make me feel better. Also, uh, you and I hope you're taking notes for next time you do zero takes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Good job. Finally, I've made Ben happy. Life achievement unlocked. No, you haven't made me happy. You've made me less unhappy. <laughs> Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blanford. I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 21, Episode 6, and this week we're talking about electric vehicles and the parallels to smartphones. Welcome back, chaps. It's good to see you. Hello. It's been a, a longer break in recording than it has been uh, between published episodes. As ever, we'll do the uh, the social chit-chat and logistics at the end, but you and McLeod, That's I think right. we have to acknowledge that you are in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, as we record. That's right. Yeah. No, you don't have to acknowledge that. I mean, it's kind of you. Well, but- I want to acknowledge it because it provides us with some unique technical opportunities for us to discover the bounds of how our software works. So uh, right. this evening, we're brought to you by a slightly different combination of software blue tacked together than we normally are. That's right. So uh, let's strap in, and if it all sounds a bit vague and disjointed, that's either the fact we've just lost our touch or it could be the tools listeners can decide so gentlemen uh it's lovely to see you and i am and you very excited to talk about a topic that i have an inkling that we are not evenly knowledgeable and briefed on unlike usual <laughs> and this you and this might be your or my opportunity to teach rafe blanford a thing or two which has been quite many years coming yes. we're going to talk about electric cars electric vehicles this evening mm. and there's two reasons for that. One is the new 361 rule that we're going to talk about stuff that we're interested in, and I am interested in this at the moment. Yep. And secondly, very much a sense that now's the time to start considering this as kind of mobile and the world around it kind of stuff, because EVs are the hot product. You know, they are beginning to sell much more, lots, absolutely sell much more than they ever were. And they're also seeing, you know, kind of some an innovation curve, much like, you know, kind of the mobile industry in, in recent years. Hmm. So, gentlemen, let's just level up before we start the episode. Fess up. Rafe Blanford, you're making a face at me, so I'm going to pick on you. Can you drive? Yes. Do you have a car? No. Have you owned or driven an electric vehicle? Yes. Owned or driven? Driven. Dr- right. I would- you want more than just yes or no answer? Well, okay, I mean, Ben, I'll, I'll try. As an interview subject, you're really making me earn my money here. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, we need to talk about the money. So uh, you've driven an electric vehicle. Which one have you driven or ones have you driven? I have driven a Tesla and I've driven a BMW, something that has, it's a hybrid. Was it a big one or a small one, the BMW? It was a big one. A big one. Okay, <laughs> excellent. That's great. That's great. The Rafe is up on this. Yep. Yep. That's me out of follow-up questions. Yeah. And then a Prius. So I've driven rental cars that are electric and then family cars. But because I live in London and rely on public transport, I have opted not to own a car. So let's put a pin in the whole are hybrids electric cars, because I think that's a topic we can come back to in a minute. I wouldn't mind mentioning them, but I think our main plan is to talk about pure electric vehicles this evening. Actual electric. Yeah. Actual electric vehicles. You McLeod, there's literally mm. oil bubbling out of the ground yards from where you're sitting as we speak. Mm. Are there any EVs in 
Saudi Arabia, as far as you're aware? Yes. Yes, there are lots of EVs in the region. Not not so much as you would see in, for example, Norway or across Europe or certainly in the UK. But every time I drive into Terminal 3, I pass a fleet, and I do mean a veritable fleet of Teslas. Now, this is Terminal 3 in Dubai. Yeah. So there, there are quite a lot of electric cars. There are quite a lot of those really fancy E-Mercedes I forget the name. EOS, EQ, EQ somethings. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's becoming more and more uh, apparent. You see lot. Yes, it, you see lots of Teslas in Dubai or, or equivalent. And just to pose you the same question, I pose Ray Flanford. I mm. think I know that you haven't ever owned an EV, including in Denmark, but you've driven EVs. I've driven many EVs in Denmark, actually. In fact, that's exclusively in Denmark. And that, that's because there was a, uh, there still is a, uh, a, a drive now equivalent, you know, the car sharing scheme. They're quite popular in Denmark. They're introduced quite early. So I use them a lot. I mean, I mean, almost every day I would take a drive now to the office or back from the office or to this thing or whatever I was doing. So, and those were typically BMW. I3? Is it the little kind of small multi-purpose ones? I3 was the little kind of bug car with the, what they call the That's suicide it. doors that open, you know, out, you know, the back <laughs> door opens doors. the wrong yeah, way, yeah. as it were, which, which was cool. Again, it's interesting, actually, that because um, when we visited you in Denmark, when you lived there, and because there was so much cycling and so much great cycling infrastructure, there were car clubs were really popular to sort of fill in that yes. people didn't want to own cars, but that almost encouraged, you know, kind of car clubs into greater existence, whereas obviously in the UK, where I am at the moment, and Rafe is, there's much more a culture of owning vehicles. Right. So selfishly, I'll ask myself the same question. And the reason I'm so giddy and excited about this is I've had a plug-in hybrid car for a couple of years now, and we got our first full electric vehicle in December last year. Because of boring reasons, I probably will get rid of that vehicle on its first anniversary. And so I'm actually in the middle of looking either to buy or lease our second fully electric vehicle. Uh-huh, so you're in the market. So yes, in, in the market and, and also feeling brave in as much as willing to experiment a bit and perhaps go, I mean, you can hardly be an early adopter for EVs now, but to try some stuff perhaps that's a little less mainstream or try some stuff that I haven't tried before because it'll be our second car. So we have a, a plug-in hybrid and so there's not the kind of the same range and reliability anxiety that people get when it's their only vehicle and they need to know that it's definitely going to charge up and it's definitely going to work. Right. Right now, I have a Genesis GV60. For those who don't know Genesis, that's a brand that's manufactured by the Hyundai group. So Hyundai make Hyundai cars, Kia cars and Genesis. And Mm -hmm. they're kind of three different segments. I think it's fair to say that Genesis is a little bit like what Lexus is to Toyota, you know, kind of very much the same underpinnings uh, mechanically, but... It's a good-looking vehicle. Good-looking, but also kind of with a few more bells and whistles and toys and things on, but actually underpinned by... So the GV60 is the same as the Ionic 5 and the Kia EV6, for those following along at home. And in terms of things we're looking at, I've been getting very giddy, but everything from Polestars to BMWs to... The one I'm I'm sort of deeply tempted by, but actually just may not be able to access, is a Fisker. F-I-S-K-E-R. Of what? Oh, I think I've heard of that, right? Is that like a Rivian kind of thing? Well, so most people I speak to who are kind of car enthusiasts or vaguely car adjacent know Fisker because it's the kind of the wacky kind of looks like a mega car from the future kind of sports car thing that you sometimes see in movies when somebody's driving something really outrageous and futuristic. And, it, you know, that I watched a film the other day. Is this the Force E? Yeah, I forget the name, actually. Yes, I watched a TV show the other day where the bad guy drove the Fisker to sort of show what, you know, kind of how incredibly wealthy and out of touch he was. Right. But that Fisker went bust because selling incredibly high-end luxury vehicles, you know, to that small market didn't work. And now they've come back and they're starting to make kind of consumer SUVs. I would describe them as kind of fun cars. Okay. You know, there's quite a lot of personality, but... Are they available in the UK? They are available in the UK and they're advertising pretty hard over okay. here, but they don't have a great presence in terms of dealers or service and those kinds of things. And then the other brand that I'd like to talk to, and we'll come back to it in a minute, is BYD. They're advertising a lot in UAE. Yes. And I now BYD mm. stands for something bonkers. Um something your dreams like all their early cars had something your dreams it believe your dreams or my build your dreams build your dreams and and you look at that and you think it's a chinese brand 
and I think maybe in the very early vehicles, sort of just <laughs> whatever the Chinese kind of you know branding just got translated into English and, and moved across the continents. I think they're rebranding, but BYD are a very interesting company because they're one of the largest motor manufacturers in the world by virtue of all that they build in China. Mm. So, you know, lots and lots of choices. And I thought that was a great opportunity to have a bit of a chat. I want to know what your impression is anecdotally in the UK. What, you know, what's happening? What are you feeling? Because look, when I'm in the school car park dropping the children off when I'm in the UK, it's like 30 to 40% of the vehicles are electric. So... Rafe, you will help me with this because you are Mr. Stats, but we have to acknowledge that in the UK and other places as well, in similar timescales, sales of new petrol or gas-fueled vehicles will be banned from 2030. There'll be some exceptions, but for the most part, 2030 is when sales of gas cars won't be allowed anymore. So obviously that's driving people thinking about, actually, we need to have product and we need to have things out there in the market because we need to be able to address everyone's needs. But I think also I saw some stats that say in, in, you know, across Europe now, 60 to 65% of all new vehicle sales in, you know, sort of consumer car segment is electric now, which is off the charts. You know, the numbers are going up and up and up Hmm. and it's very, very noticeable. I think one of the things that I kind of have been curious about actually is if you look at the press, at least from my perspective, you know, you see all these electric cars, you know, you see cars everywhere. I mean, you can sneeze and hit three white Tesla Model 3s, you know, in, in the school car park, for sure. Mm. You know, there are just so many of them. I think, Rafe, if you read the press, most of the press about vehicles is either the 2030 ban will be chaos and terrible, electric vehicles have terrible range or are very awkward to recharge and all those sorts of mm. things. And then, in particularly for those of us in the south of the UK, there's been a huge argument about the ultra low emissions zone which is a sort of an area of london where they're trying to control vehicle emissions because pollution has been you know well above safe levels and that's very much affected the conversation so rafe i'm out of london and i'm in the suburbs you're you know right in the center of london does that sound a sort of a fair summation in terms of evs everywhere i think uh, there may be a bit of observer bias going on here that's potential i hate to how to come back at you with stats and things like that. What I'll say is in London, my observation would be a lot of the kind of ride sharing or taxi equivalents are using electric vehicles. And there's some specific circumstances in London around congestion charges and low emission charges that actually encourage that kind of behavior. But just as a general observation, also when traveling, taxis often seem to be electric vehicles. And I think a lot of that is to do with running costs and things like that. And then absolutely, there has been a rise in electric vehicles. You see that in London as you see it anywhere else. But I think it does depend on the ability to charge. And a lot of people living in flats or on street, it's kind of less popular. And that's something maybe we can dig into Mm. in a bit. But um, you talked about the uh, Z mandate. And in different countries, there's different versions of this. But in the UK, the Z mandate comes into force next year, so 2024, uh, alongside the kind of emission targets that are already there. And in the UK, the government wants to, I'll use this ban with bunny ears, the sale of most petrol and diesel cars. There are going to be kind of exceptions to that and lots of grandfathering going on. But initially, the kind of Z mandate or the ZEV mandate there's a target of 22% in 2024 of sales being electric vehicles. That goes up to, I think, 28% in 2025, 33% in 2026, and so on, until by the time you get to 2030, it's 80%. And depending on what stats you read, last year, it was about 15 to 17% of cars being sold. So you can see that even in that kind of initial next year, that's quite a jump. And then looking at some other research, that kind of varies around the world. And the UK is one of the leading markets, Western Europe in particular, particularly the uh, Nordics. They've been Mm -hmm. a little bit more advanced in their kind of government mandation. But globally, EV vehicles are still only around 15%. However, there is an interesting point here that we are kind of at an inflection point. And there are various research studies that are coming out now which are comparing it or describing the tipping point and saying that by 2030 there's 
between 60 and 80%, depending on which scenario you follow, will be electric vehicles. So there's kind of a hypothesis here that it's a really interesting time to talk about this because we are on the switch point. And, you know, it's taken about 10 to 15 years to go from the first vehicles were being sold back in 2010. You know, we're almost 13, 15 years later. It's taken that long to get to 15%. In the next seven or eight years, we're going to jump to the 70% mark. So I think that's why it's interesting to have that. And it's the typical S-curve adoption that we've talked about in the past for technology cycles is starting to apply to EV. And the reason behind it is basically battery technology has improved. And we may come back to that because that's interesting for other reasons, but the battery charging and the ability to charge. So yeah, the UK is absolutely going to see that change. But I think we're probably not quite as far ahead. And I, I think there's a bit of observer bias from you and on the school run. And uh, Ben, maybe in the cars, you happen to notice. Absolutely. And I mean, this is the difficult thing as well, because you've got observer bias, you've got, you know, kind of our respective locations as well in terms of, you know, like, of course, the school car park is going to have a different mix of vehicles to what's going around the motorway and those sorts of things. I think there's that kind of confusing factor of the mix of commercial vehicles. But I do want to just sort of come back to this thing that I think there's a, a an aspect now that electric vehicles are now of a quality that they're good enough to talk about. They're good enough to be interested in, in because it's not anymore just a thing of specs. You know, like you remember in the early days of smartphones, you'd get, you know, the right. processor speed, the RAM, the screen, and, you know, kind of like a lot mm. of conversations about whether something was good would be very much rooted in the gigamegs it had, you know, how many, yes. how many, te- how many flops, how many megabytes, how many, you know, lumens or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And early conversation about EVs is much the same. But actually, if I observe the, com- you know, kind of like I'm watching a lot of reviews about cars because I want to buy one. And if I think about my own sense of what matters to me and our friends and things, there's increasing sense actually that you know, there are enough vehicles now that are good enough, and we can talk about, we will, Rafe, come back to charging in a minute, because I really want to have a chat about that. But actually, increasingly now, it's about, as well, the intangibles. I'm trying to put my finger on it. Like, I love my relatively new electric vehicle, because it is such a calm place to be. It's really quiet. It's really calm and nice place to drive. You know, you don't have noise you don't have rumbling you don't have you know kind of screaming engines all that kind of stuff and actually no one's sort of saying oh you know evs are nicer to drive but actually i think a lot of people who are buying them actually enjoy the so you prefer it actually in the past perhaps you might have said oh i only buy a german cars right or i only buy sports cars mm. or i only buy american cars or i only buy this brand of trucks you know i mean depending on where you are in the world that would vary but for me, it was, oh, I really like German cars. You know, for some of my friends, it's, oh, you know, are you a Ford or are you a Dodge, you know, mm, person mm. in the States or whatever, you know, like people, you know, buying F-150s is almost like a religion in, in North America, as far as I can tell. But here, I think now people are starting to sort of get into that mindset of actually, oh, I only want an electric vehicle. And as Rafe said earlier, often because it's associated with disproportionate kind of comfort and quality and silence and those sorts of things. And obviously, because many of the early EVs are expensive, they've started off as relatively luxury vehicles. Premium. And so people sort of see electric vehicles, maybe not as premium anymore, but as kind of having premium characteristics, you know, like even of your regular brands. Does it free you, Ben? Does it free you from the traditional, it must be a German car style approach, do you think? Yes. Totally. So is it freeing you or is it causing you to have to look elsewhere? Well, what's really interesting is if you had said to me, would you like a Chinese car? Yeah. Trying, you know, being very honest, you know, sort of, I would have said, I don't really think so because I've never owned one before. I don't know anyone who owns one. I mean, I know there's Chinese electronics in in nearly everything I produce, but I've never, never owned one. I don't really know much about the design. You know, if I had to guess, I would say that what I know about you know, kind of vehicle manufacturing in China was, you know, kind of very, very high volumes, relatively cheap, doesn't really, you know, speak to me. But actually, looking at some of the vehicles that are being produced and now available in the UK market, they are incredibly impressive. You know, the BYD SEAL vehicle is arguably competitive with the Tesla Model 3. And, you know, that's, you know, incredibly impressive. And it's a really nice, attractive vehicle. So actually, sorry, Braith, and I will shut up in a second. Like, 
previously I would have only said, oh, you know, sort of um, German brands. Actually, South Korean, Chinese, you know, some of the Japanese brands have done a terrible job of bringing EVs to the market. So, you know, it's almost like sort of um, shaking the dice and starting from fresh, you know, forming all your brand opinions all over again. I think the interesting thing here is the rollout of EV vehicles is a mirror image of what happened with smartphones. And you alluded to this connection earlier, Ben, Hmm. because some of the old manufacturers are stuck in their way. And like the CEO of BMW recently commented on this, almost saying that they're running out of time because their lunch is being eaten by either startups and obviously the Tesla example, but actually probably more serious is the Chinese and the South Korean manufacturers. And these new brand names coming in are almost unrecognizable to the traditional car market, especially when you look at what the big sellers were in ICE 20 years ago. Hmm. And you can't help but draw that parallel between the kind of Scandinavian mega mobile phone manufacturers, and to be fair, the early smartphones as well, the Nokias, the Ericssons of this world, who are basically nowhere now because they got displaced by Apple and something. It's not a perfect analogy, but Mm. it's been disruptive enough or different enough. And while it's still got four wheels and everything else, some of the fundamentals have changed in that it's the battery technology that's driving a lot of it, and then software as well. And it's so interesting to see that software thing in particular, because again, it mirrors what happened with smartphones. And here you've got someone like Ben, who I can totally see as a traditional, you know, I'll buy a German car and going, yeah, I'm trying all sorts of other things now. That kind of disruption hasn't happened in the car market for arguably 70 or 80 years. It's it's really worrying. I really, I have a problem because I really respect Tesla for the products that they make. But I also think Elon Musk isn't giant idiot you know self-censoring times occasionally and allegedly uh, consistently and persistently he's an idiot (laughs) but actually i think rave's hit the nail on the head and i want to come back and talk about some of the other aspects like software in a second but tesla manufacture electric vehicles with battery technology and management and drivetrains that are so much more efficient than the competition you may choose other vehicles but you have to acknowledge that you will get better range and better performance out of a Tesla in many, many cases. They're not as far ahead as they were now, but it is night and day when you look at some of the performance of this. And this is a little bit like how I think that, okay, you know, the iPhone wasn't the only phone around at the time, but with the launch of the iPhone, what people cared about completely changed, you know, sort of overnight. And all of a sudden, everyone was being measured on new criteria. And yes. you wouldn't have said that Apple would be one that would move the market in that regard. It doesn't and, have a keyboard. Well, exactly. No one will buy it. And, and Tesla, for all of their problems and their, their history, you know, also you know, kind of still have some of that first mover advantage now. And they're really setting the benchmark in terms of range and you know, charging and the efficiency of their motors and those sorts of things. Building on, on race point there, you are an absolute nightmare. <laughs> For these German brands, right? I like him. Yeah. For as long as we, Rafe and I, have known Ben, he has purchased German brand cars. Yes. And has taken great care, delight, and pleasure from it. And I think we, you know, that's we respect that, and that's lovely. You were never, ever, ever going to not drive a German car, Ben. Right. So. Five years ago, 10 years ago, uh, Rafe and I, if we'd yeah. said, look, what kind of cars are you going to have across the next 20, 30 years? The answer would be, and was, up until the last two years, was always German. Now, and this is when, when you hear the, the, the German manufacturers saying, look, uh, we, oh, oh, we've, yeah, warning, warning, this is existential. Yes. Well, yes. And it's, when, when you hear Ben going, okay, do you know what? I don't need that German one. BYD, Ben. BYD. Yeah. Right? What? Amazing. It's even worse than that, though, because whilst you had all that hierarchy of vehicle manufacturers, and mm. obviously every, everybody's got, in different markets have got their own perceptions, but for me, in this part of Europe, you know, kind of German brands were seen as luxury, they were seen as prestigious, but they also came with relatively high quality. Some of the German brands have done such a poor job of releasing EVs, and Volkswagen is the obvious example. Their first you know, set of, of products, which sort of are golf-sized vehicles and small SUVs, right? those sorts of things. So the ID 3, 4, and 5 in their first race have been completely panned 
And actually, Rafe made me think of this when you were talking about software, Rafe, because the fit and the finish and the build was fine. Not VW's reputation, but fine. The drivetrains were fine, not exceptional, but fine. But the software, both the software to manage the vehicle and the software for drivers, was so awful Mm. that combined with it only being fine in those other respects, they've really struggled to sell. And now you have people saying, oh, don't get the VW, it's terrible value for money. Now, it's not quite overnight, but that really has turned things on its head. And I think that mediocre vehicles, mediocre drivetrains, mediocre build quality, but with really amazing software inside that was really easy to use or was really pleasant to use, you know, would turn that on its head. And, you know, kind of, I suppose the example I would give would be Android Automotive, which some of the brands are putting inside their cars now, which means you have Google and Spotify and Maps and all those sorts of things out of the box, but also to a quite a high standard. So yeah, it has absolutely turned things on its head. Rafe, software's a tricky one to master, but do we have any inkling about whether or not there's like a, an ecosystem lock-in yet. I'm wondering if people are starting to buy the cars that have the software they like. And the whole reason I'm saying this is in, in North America, General Motors said, we're not going to put CarPlay in our electric vehicles. And the internet lost its mind. Yeah. You know, and this was, this was universally considered a bad thing. And the guy from Ford basically said, they're mad. We don't do software. We will get our money from vehicles and services for vehicles we're not going to try and you know put software on cars we'll always support things like carplay and it was like it almost felt to me like it crystallized the whole conversation that actually evs are kind of smartphones with wheels on now i think it's a good question but actually i think in some ways you should look at software through three lenses on this and one of which is what you're talking about there the carplay or the infotainment system kind of the interface that the driver sees and there definitely seems to be evidence that people will favor CarPlay and Android Auto. And there's been, for the last 10 years, there's been this question of who is going to win that battle. But clearly, there are alternatives to this. And some of the manufacturers have their own systems, which are... Like what? Like what, Rafe? Who in the right mind? Well, I mean, Tesla... Okay, all right, fine. So hold on a minute. What happens when you plug your Tesla in? You don't get CarPlay? No. Famously, no. Okay, because I've, I've not experienced that. That would irritate me yeah. dramatically. So if that's the first one, the other thing is like you can't draw this comparison too far because there is this thing around touchscreens and safety. And actually, BMW in particular were famous for having the kind of the control stick in the car that was haptics and tactile and everything else. And I still think there's lots of room there. The car doesn't have the same limitations as the smartphone in terms of everything turning into a glass slab. So I think there is an unwritten story there yet in terms of that human computer interface in the car. And at the moment, things are focused very much around the driver. Some of the concept cars I've seen at CES in the past talked about the passenger and then both front seat and back seat. But I think that's just one lens of the software. The second one is actually what most people don't realize is that's only one bit of the software in a car now. There are literally hundreds of suppliers. And in some cases, the cars have many, many chips. And we're talking tens, hundreds of chips and kind of hardware system. This is not the old days where it was sort of a physical car. You could relatively simply understand and all the bits and how it worked. You know, there's miles of cabling. I mean, there are tales of, and I think sometimes they're apocryphal, of, you know, work being done to strip out wires and taking 10 kilos off a car bit like you get with airlines as well what is undoubted is that some of the more traditional car manufacturers have relied on a system where they get components from loads of different spas and you know you can talk about toyota just in time and all the different approaches to building a car and a lot of them replicated that with software and they'd get it from 20 30 40 50 different suppliers and that wasn't really a problem when you're building a physical thing But with software, that becomes a nightmare of federated development, of integration. That makes problems for over-the-air software updates, for everything else. And Ben, I know you've got a few tales around that, and I'll come back to the third lens in a moment on software. I was just going to interrupt and say it really amused me that going through the menu of my Genesis car, which obviously is manufactured by Hyundai Group, it says NVIDIA. Like my car's interface for the entertainment system and also then the to see battery charge and to plan, you know, route planning with charging and everything. It's in the NVIDIA drive platform. So NVIDIA 
produce, you know, chipsets and software to go into these cars. And it looks like a computer game. And I mean, not just in terms of the visuals, but it has really slick, you know, accelerated graphics on huge screens, you know, with lots and lots of overlays and interplaying elements and these sorts of things. And as you press buttons on the steering wheel, various elements move around, but they all are sort of, you know, correctly aliased and everything. It's not like the bad old days of sort of the LCD screens. And I was absolutely amazed, but it made total sense to me that an organization that was so rooted in gaming in its origin is now making in-car systems because it feels like a computer game when you're navigating around it. It's really evident that when you look at what's come from smartphones, a lot of the names, not just NVIDIA, actually inside the cars as well. And to draw the parallel back to smartphones, a lot of the issue with Symbian was that it came from, or bits came from, different vendors and suppliers for different things. And to some extent, then the different manufacturers then had their own versions of um, Symbian. And you can kind of see where that got disrupted by Android and Apple, but also even Apple controlling their software stack top to bottom, and it's been doing the same with hardware. It kind of does everything, whereas Android had the Samsung did something, and then things got adopted in, and then there's Android open source, and, 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 and. So I don't want to draw it too much, but that software thing has added a level of complexity that I don't think is appreciated. And it's also, a lot of it is in kind of the hidden systems. It's all the embedded software and processes that make a car like that work. And that's actually been going on regardless. That's not really an electric vehicle thing. That's just general, that computers have been coming into cars and the diagnostics, and you'll hear tales about garages. But the third software lens that I think is worth thinking about is innovation through software And so you can almost get two things here, different versions of the car, depending on what software package you had. Tesla has made this famous with the, you know, buy and get the kind of self-driving mode or get the Mm. ultimate mode for extended range and things like that. And Ben, that's caused a few problems, including with the licensing, right? Yeah, two things. One is Tesla have broken my brain because now when I look at something that I know is a software feature for another manufacturer and they want me to buy a whole pack or they'll only let me have that feature if I get the big alloy wheels or the you know the sports edition of the car it drives me mad because I'm now programmed to know that there should be some features that can just be turned on and off in software and you know have enough understanding but also I was talking to a friend the other day who hopefully this this is an accurate retelling but increasingly people who are buying electric vehicles and then adding software features onto them as part of the buying process and paying serious money in some cases for these upgrades are realizing that in some cases when they sell the vehicle they won't also sell the license for the software that's linked to them so you can have bought i'll say tesla but i'm not picking on them particularly you can have bought a tesla and put ludicrous mode or or something you know this extra feature onto the vehicle And it's not a given that when you sell the vehicle, that feature will travel with the vehicle to the next owner. Because you might think, well, I bought a car for £50,000 and I put £5,000 worth of extras on it. Therefore, my vehicle costs £55,000. You might expect to see some of that value realised in the resale price. Different world, no? Well, the world of software licensing has been a murky way for people to sell the same thing twice. When I sell my iPhone, they don't get my Apple One account. They don't get my Dropbox. No, they, they, they don't. But I think interestingly, when you sell your iPhone and you buy another iPhone, you can install all that software that you were, were either paying for on a, on a monthly subscription or you'd bought outright yeah. onto your new iPhone. It remains yours. So if you buy a new Tesla, can you then... That is the question. And that's the point in the conversation where I, I'm not yet sure if this person knows whether or not they can transfer their features. But I think the that's interesting. Default answer may have been no when wow. he spoke to the manufacturer about this. Gosh. And actually, that sort of makes sense because I imagine that for motor manufacturers, maintaining kind of like compatibility, as it were, with these features, you know, the next Tesla vehicle he buys may not support ludicrous mode or, you know, whatever else. Yeah. It may not have the hardware in order to do it. And, wow. you know, smartphones are computer platforms and obviously vehicles. You know, that's what, as Rafe said earlier, that's where you kind of, your analogy starts to break down. But Rafe, BMW got laughed at when they suggested that they might license heated seats on a monthly right, subscription basis. Right. And I, I thought that was slightly unfair because it would, they clearly were doing it as a trial. And in their market, 
often who purchases the vehicle would be a leasing company and who runs the vehicle would be a consumer. And so actually to let different entities add things to the car does make sense. You know, if, you, if you're a bit more charitable about it, you say, well, actually, you know, if my job gives me a car, I might like to pay to enhance it, but only for the time that I've got the car in my possession. It's not completely bonkers, but they got laughed out of town on that one. Mm. They did, and I agree with you. It feels a bit unfair, but people's expectations have been set by the current car market. So the idea of subscriptions doesn't get very popular. I think it's partly also because the manufacturers do rather seem to take advantage. And, you know, in the old days, it was about what maps you got with your GPS system. And when you went abroad, suddenly you had to pay £500 for a map of the continent or something like that. But I can actually see it being a positive in some ways. And just as with other kind of avenues of consumer electronics, the rise of subscription seems to be something that will come into cars. And uh, you and I'll get you to talk about what you did in Copenhagen a little bit, but you can basically it's an unbundling of the functionality of the car. And in some cases, that means you'll get better value for money because you won't be paying for all those extras, which is always like something people complain about when buying cars. But also the concept of do you turn on ludicrous mode or extended range when you're doing a holiday or something like that? Could you do it for a period of time or, you know, self-driving? That has yet to really be explored. I mean, ultimately, it will be a way of extracting more money from customers. But I don't think that's always a bad thing because sometimes it can have advantages for the consumers as well. And actually, the cost can sit with the appropriate audience in the sense of what development is. But that push towards subscription or fractional ownership, I think, is only going to get accelerated by that. And you and I know you did that when you were in Copenhagen. We did. We used a, a lot of subscription capability. And I had my Drive Now card. It's not available in Copenhagen anymore. But in London, I was a Drive Now customer. And what was really cool for a period, for a couple of years, I was able to, you know, I would come into Copenhagen, Copenhagen Airport, and use my UK Drive Now card to unlock the BMW i3. And there's usually about eight of them in the airport car park you just drove away drove home really cool and then sometimes it would be there the next morning if it wasn't i would just walk to the next one drive it It was really really effective but i can see the market changing real time when we moved the family back to the uk we panic bought an xc90 we leased it that's a volvo suv that's quite a panic buy yeah we panic leased one because we're what we're going to do don't know don't know xc90 Safe, safe both in the road safety sense because it's a Volvo, but also safe in the sense of it's so large I can fit everything I own inside of it. Well, this is quite important. And coming from Oman, where we were driving Ford Expeditions, which are trucks, nine-seater trucks. I drove a Ford Expedition once, and it was ever so slightly larger than my student flat at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so we had to make sure Hetty wife was comfortable, so we leased just through an online leasing, click, click, and we found one for a year. Great. Okay. We'll push off the panic about what kind of car we're going to get by just done, right? So that's been going fine. And then just recently, Hetty got a phone call from the leasing company saying, hey, uh, look, you know, your lease is coming up. Yes. Have you had a think about what you'd like to do? And Hetty said, well, yeah, let's keep the same one. No, you can't do that. Fair enough. For various different financial reasons, you know, they want to sell the car on. She then said, well, just another XC90 then. The lady at the leasing company said, no, sorry, try something else. <laughs> and Hattie said, no, 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 the Volvo XC90, you're or equivalent. And the lady said, no, we can't give you a Volvo. You need to go direct. Sorry, it needs to be something else. Volvo have just launched a vehicle subscription service, actually, which is interesting because right. as you were saying that, I was just thinking, we rarely talk about cars on this show, but last time we talked about cars and Mm. you talked about that app for leasing them yes we sort of said oh it will change you know you'll get much more into getting cars as a service and we were we were certain about that because all our software was becoming like a service and it's very very noticeable that byd polestar to a bit of an extent definitely genesis definitely tesla don't have huge traditional dealerships physical presence i mean Right. They do have some presences, but they're very different from as you know, kind of twenty years ago mm. when you were buying a car where you would you would have, you know, kind of nearly every major town would have every major brand represented with a franchise, certainly where we are in the UK. And you thought, Oh, they're turning the car market upside down, they're getting rid of dealerships, they're doing sort of remote service and those kinds of things. But I've I was sort of felt that we'd sort of then got stuck, which is actually they discovered that people are quite willing to 
buy or lease vehicles that they've had very little exposure to and haven't had a salesperson sell. Right. You know, I mean, my mate drove down to Southampton Docks to collect his Tesla, which has sort of rolled off the ship from wherever it was manufactured, <laughs> you know, kind of in a tent. You know, this is a, a luxury vehicle you sort of collect in a car park where they throw the keys at you and there's none of the, oh, sign here. you know, would you like us to whip the covers off and would we have a glass of champagne and, you know, kind of all of the... Uh, photo? Exactly. And uh, the dealership who, who, who sold me my last Porsche was, you must have a photo. I mean, it's an important <laughs> moment we should capture. People are willing to give that up. But we haven't got to that point of where manufacturers now are sort of saying, no, we won't sell you a car, but we'll lease you a service or whatever. Because these leases, they're like the ones that Volvo yeah. do, they're just traditional vehicle leases. They might wrap it up in some nice branding that it's a Volvo subscription. But if you look mm. at the price on these sorts of things, it's not any different to sort of traditional vehicle leasing. Right. And so in the UK, onto who is one of the kind of short vehicle yeah. lease yeah, yeah. companies, not the on-demand ones that you were talking about. Yeah, the electric one. Yeah. But this is the, I need a vehicle sort of for on a month by month basis, mm. and I'd like flexibility. Yes. Which is the kind of thing that we thought, you know, kind of these new manufacturers would give. Mm. They're in some financial difficulties, I think, at the moment, because effectively they haven't really been able to compete on price with what people are comparing them against, which is sort of the, the standard lease. Yeah, yeah. Cost of financing and purchasing a car right. on long duration finance agreements. We're just running a little over on time. I just wanted to move us on, and I, I promise I'll shut up in a second. Privacy. So something else that's come up with electric vehicles, you know, sort of related to software, is privacy. Mozilla Foundation's published a report in the last month which has panned, you know, most of the vehicle manufacturers for collecting what they say is huge amounts of intrusive data, including things as horrendous as sexual preferences, sexual activity voting intentions, family structure, medical information, and these sorts of things. And they have really criticised electric vehicles, particularly in the manufacturers, for effectively saying most people don't pay this any attention when they get an EV and basically accept huge amounts of data collection, perhaps far more than with traditional vehicles because these are giant computers and they tend to be very connected vehicles as well with internet-based services. I mean, does it give you any pause for thought, Ewan, in terms of picking vehicles on this? I don't want any of that. That really worries me, and I'd be looking to some kind of service to give me some comfort. You know, we've analysed the following, you know, wire cutter style, hmm. to say, don't buy these ones, do buy this. I would be worried a little bit about that. But then, you know, what, what are you going to do with it? You know, what does it really matter? I have to say, when I read it, I mean, the, the Mozilla Foundation is doing good work because it's mm, raising mm. that kind of creeping commercialization. And if you look at where the television industry has gone, most of the people selling you a television have no interest in selling you a good quality screen or a nice experience. What they're doing is selling a cut price device to get a data collection into your house so that they can right. sell data to broadcasters and advertisers. And, you know, it, it's quite hard to be rid of that with smart TVs. And I think there's a a sense that that's the way that electric vehicles are going. But Rafe, I, you know, not an expert, but I just didn't think that it was possible to collect that type of data. So I wonder if what they're observing is that the agreement, the legal agreements that you sign, you know, the leases and the terms and conditions of these vehicles cover all of these sorts of things because these manufacturers are hoovering up all this data. And in the mix, there might be all these various characteristics, all these various types of data, but not because they're actively seeking it out, but because they're sort of capturing it in an uncontrolled way and are worried about sort of, you know, kind of being found out later to have, I don't know, perhaps recorded some audio of someone talking about voting intentions, for example. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. People are not going to read through the terms and conditions when they buy a car. The kind of shrink wrapping on software mm. gets ignored. It's even more true of cars. And typically in these situations, you know, belt and braces on the legal front. Could that data be collected? Absolutely, because the number of sensors in those cars are absolutely insane. But then the cost to process all of that would be pretty interesting. And so I think it's how much do you trust any corporate entity? And cars are a concern. But the stuff on your smartphones, I do wonder a bit like Apple is doing in the smartphone world, where there might be a this is a privacy compliant car. Could there be a standard that comes in? Interesting. 
And that could be a way that traditional manufacturers kind of fight back a little bit against some of the Chinese or South Korean things. But if I was going to worry about privacy, I would probably be more concerned around the number of cameras that are in these vehicles and probably going to remain the case Mm. just as much pointing outwards as pointing inwards and inadvertently capturing things. Now, you can sort of imagine a world where the police might go a request for CTV for a crime reason and go and collect it from all of the self-driving cars that were around in that period and be able to collect things together. I mean, this is the sort of thing that You know, it's easy to kind of be a bit conspiracy theory about this, but machine learning and the ability to mine through data like that, I don't see any reason why that isn't possible in the future. Now, whether it's cameras or other LiDAR sensors is really interesting. The reason I kind of bring this up is I just want to very quickly refer back to something earlier we said about software and the advantage. Tesla has made a great deal recently of the self-driving stuff and being able to power it with a neural network that relies on having captured hundreds of millions of videos of the Teslas in action. And now there does appear to be a leap forward in the self-driving capability. And they have an advantage over a lot of the other car manufacturers because they've been in that position of having cameras everywhere for a few years, more vehicles and kind of a fresh start. That, you know, the connection to privacy raises some interesting questions and we aren't going to get into the ethics of self-driving now because that's Mm. a whole other episode. Oh, gosh, yeah. But it is interesting to think about that these cars, you know, a bit like smartphones, have more sensors, more capability to know about you and, frankly, the world that you're in and the world that you're around than people perhaps realise. And so, as with all things digital, the concern is probably, does the legal and compliance framework keep up? Because there isn't really anything to stop bad actors doing bad things. And, you know, a lot of people don't have a lot of trust for corporates. And the car manufacturing world, this is the world which faked emission standards and everything else. Oof, this is true. So they're not exactly in great standing with um, Mm. consumers. So I definitely think this is an area of concern, maybe around privacy in general, but how they may use and abuse some of the stuff that they're collecting. Because let's make no mistake, it is going to be valuable and the time you spend in a car is not insignificant. And understanding where you've been how long you've taken to get there, whether you've had people in the car with you. It's not, I don't think, quite as powerful as a smartphone, but it certainly gets interesting. And you could probably argue there's less of a constraint in terms of energy consumption and everything else in the car compared to the smartphone. I mean, yeah, very easy to put your tinfoil hat on, but I think it will be a (laughs) thing that becomes a differentiator for consumers to understand what that is in the same way it's just starting to get there in the smartphone world. So motor manufacturers are already offering discounted prices or insisting on having black boxes in vehicles for younger drivers and less experienced drivers. I think when we talk about electric vehicles in particular, capturing a lot of information because they are giant computers, I could well see that insurance companies may start to demand access to that data before they'll insure you and that then they would have, you know, speed, location, turn, you know, angle, (laughs) G-force. Uh, you know, kind of Everything. video recording of accidents. And that, you know, in some respects could be great because it would give more information to make correct insurance claims. But it also could have a, a very sort of a chilling effect in terms of how the people feel free to use and enjoy their vehicles. Mm. You know, I mean, obviously, everybody needs to drive safely and within the law, but there's a great deal of space in that to say, well, you know, I'm not going to impose the legal limits. I'm going to impose lower limits on you so that you can have this insurance policy. The other thing that occurred to me, Rafe, when you were talking is law enforcement agencies routinely approach organisations like Amazon to secure recordings from ring doorbell cameras because there are so many of those ring doorbell cameras out there now that you know huge amounts of crime and, and criminality or just information are being sought. I forget if I told the story on the, on the podcast, but a couple of years ago, during the depths of the pandemic, one of our neighbours went missing and there was a huge missing persons search across Hampshire where I lived. And, and unfortunately, when he was ultimately found, he wasn't alive. But there was thousands of people and hundreds of police officers combing through forests and roads and those sorts of things. And they said, you know, if you have a CCTV camera, if you have a, a ring doorbell or something like that, please share the footage. We need to try and locate this chap. 
Wow. And because obviously everybody wanted to, and because they wanted to help, and it wasn't a criminal thing, it wasn't a scary thing, it was a mm. everybody clubbing together to try and help find this chap. You know, kind of, we talked to our neighbours, and I think nearly every house down this road has some kind of doorbell camera, and certainly you can almost maintain continuous CCTV coverage wow. down our tiny little rural road, you know, in the, in the back end of Hampshire. So, you know, imagine what kind of coverage you would have in a suburban area, perhaps, or yeah. in places even where you might consider CCTV doesn't cover. I still think choosing an uh, electric vehicle at the lower end of the price bracket is a more testing question. I think, and again, we're going to do a very lightweight job of discussing this, but the thing that we haven't discussed, or I've talked about all the things I like about EVs, are the challenges of EVs. And the first thing that I wanted to talk about there really was about charging. The Teslas from the get-go understood that charging was a problem. And whilst you know offered chargers you could install at home, and they offered the superchargers, which are in lots of popular locations across the UK. I know there's even more of them in, in North America, which offered you know convenient charging and also sometimes free, sometimes integrated payment. So they're much more reliable. I don't think it is fair to say that charging in public charging infrastructure that isn't Tesla can be a pretty patchy experience in the UK. You know, the machines are broken or out of service or blocked or unreliable. And it's confusing to me that so many businesses seem to have made good money out of selling fuel for so long that there hasn't been a sort of a rush to build charging infrastructures into petrol stations and garages to the extent that you would imagine. I mean, our local BP garage has um, some chargers, and the only thing I've ever noticed about them is that they're always broken. I think you know, if it was a petrol pump, it would have been fixed within 24 hours. It would have you know, seriously constrained revenue. So let's just talk about charging. Have you got a thing at home? I charge at home and it's a dynamic that people rarely talk about because people say, well, you know, kind of what about if you need to charge out and about on the go? But I think the thing I would say is that most of my journeys are less than 100 miles on a regular basis, you know, for my commuting and work and those kinds of things. You know, we do make longer journeys sometimes, but they are rare. And the thing with an EV, particularly if you have home charger, is I start every journey fully topped up. So I have 200 and something, 220, 240 miles of range in my particular vehicle every time so i don't it's not like i'd have to take a gas vehicle out and go and fill it up with petrol before i could drive it at a, at a petrol station but rafe i was thinking about you the other day because obviously we talked about how difficult it would be for you to charge a vehicle in central london with an apartment you have a parking space but it's not adjacent to your home and you're not able to install charging infrastructure in there and i saw this really interesting solution called trojan chargers i don't know if you're aware of them I'm not, no. So if you live in a place where you don't have a driveway and you can't, you, you can't charge your car sort of directly, yeah. if you park on street, this is a company that will come and basically put like a hole in the ground and give you a, what they call a lance. And so you park somewhere along the road and then you put this lance into this hole in the ground and it connects you to your home supply and it allows you to then plug your vehicle in. So that actually you can charge street side without trailing the cable, you know, kind of all the way up to your front door and through a window or something like that. That's cool. And that was really interesting, I thought, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was a local authority, Surrey County Council here in the south of the UK, encouraging people to install infrastructure on the roads and helping them to sort of own a piece of infrastructure. You know, that's my charger there outside my house, but in public land, you know, on the pavement. Mm. And then secondly... The manufacturer of this type of charger had sort of coded these lances so that you could use the lance in any one of these sockets. So if you had to park down the road, you could put the lance in, charge in one of those sockets. Oh, that's important. Yeah. And the lance is almost like a key. You know, it's coded to your account, and then that charge is applied to your electric account. So it's not a case that, you know, kind of if someone parks in your space, you're toast. It was really fascinating to sort of see actually, you know, previously. Local authorities would have been very resistant, I think, to putting things on the street. It's incredibly difficult to get permission to zone a, a new parking bay with a car charger in it or something like that. So, you know, there are more innovative solutions being looked for. And I think that's, again, another parallel to smartphones where charging became a bit more of a thing when battery life only lasted a day. The accessories came along wireless charging. So I think there's a lot more space for that infrastructure network, which is way, way more important for cars. And it's, again, one of Tesla's competitive advantages. But, you know, we have seen in Scandinavia, you know, roads that charge you as you go along. 
there's definitely interest around wireless charging and some of the standards have been developing there. <laughs> but um, something that we did want to touch on, but I think we're probably over time. So I'm just going to mention it as maybe a leaving uh, a last thought. If we're trying to <laughs> play out that analogy a little bit more, smartphones at the center of an ecosystem, I think cars are doing that same thing. And there's lots of things we can talk about. But since we've just been talking about charging, there is one thing here that um, the electric uh, vehicles have really, really big batteries in them. And that can actually be interesting for the electricity grid in a couple of ways. You have this concept of being able to do things where you are taking from the car and putting it into the grid. Powering your house. And that's yeah. known as vehicle to grid. That's still early right. days, but that's really interesting when we talk about smart electricity grids and balancing the network because you can use cars as a storage thing. And like a fully charged EV battery can actually power your home for four days if you look at the kind of usage. There's also vehicle to home, which is more about the storage solutions. All of that are able for a more balanced grid and you can smooth out the demand. And we've touched on this in previous episodes where we talked about sustainability. So I think it would be something to maybe interestingly come back and touch on on another episode yeah. when we look at that in general and energy usage and things. But cars are going to be part of that ecosystem in a way that they just haven't been before. And I see that as similar to the smartphone being central to your kind of smart home ecosystem or things like that. And so it's a topic we could probably talk for another half hour on. Yes, I won't string this out. I think it's interesting to see that the National Grid in the UK, which is the organisation that runs the transmission network for power in the UK, has said that they are confident they have sufficient capacity and can enhance the grid at enough speed to support the forecast demand for electric vehicles, because that was always one challenge, was the grid will dissolve into a heap with all this new demand. But I think some of that, Rafe, is about using smarter you know, vehicle-to-load, vehicle-to-grid solutions. And the charger I have does support you know, some communication with certain cars where if you had a battery solution, for example, you know, like a Tesla Powerwall or, or something equivalent to that, you, know, you can actually draw power from the vehicle, although I've never tried to do it. Just one other thing. So long time sort of friend of the show slash friend of us individually, Ed Lee, who you might remember, runs a business called Charge Fairy as well, yes. which I love. A pink van will come to your house with an enormous battery in the back of it and will do emergency or, or routine scheduled charging for your EVs with a cable. Pretty good idea. It's the sort of the equivalent of the green can of fuel for run out vehicles, but I think they also support um, commercial vehicles and things where remote charging is needed and it's been really interesting to see that but it feels to me like charging and 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 the challenges of charging are probably one of those places that are the constraints along with batteries as you said Rafe charging will be one of those things that unlocks it but I think I personally am now of the opinion that most of the people who raise it as a blocker as a constraint either have exceptional needs you know lots and lots of long distance travel or are trying to solve for the a case that they don't have, you know, that actually most people could charge from home or charge with local infrastructure at places of work and those sorts of things, certainly, you know, soon, if not now. Right, that feels like an unsatisfactory way to end an episode that should have lasted a lot longer, but we will because we're well over time. Yeah, I think this is one where our listenership will have opinions. A great deal more knowledge yes. than we do yes. on this one. I'm interested in your EV yeah. stories, please. What do you use? Yeah, yeah. What do you own? Why did you choose it? And what's your horror stories? And what's your mm. wins? Because like I say, I think that what I've been really surprised about is the extent to which the things that I fixated on, like charging before I got an electric vehicle, seem to have melted away. They're not nothing, but they're not top of my mind. Things I never even thought about in terms of you know drivability and, and pleasure and the quality of the vehicle and, and even the uh, cost and the affordability of running it have become much more factors for me. So, uh, yeah, interested in your stories there. Gentlemen, we will revisit this as Mr. McLeod returns to the UK and uh, mm. the saga of the vehicles goes on. We'll find out what it is you ultimately choose to get and whether or not it's an EV or a uh, plug-in hybrid. Stay tuned. Will Volvo let uh, Ewan have another vehicle, or has he been blacklisted by the Scandinavians? <laughs> We're nearly to the end of this season. We have a couple more topics, but as ever, we'd really welcome your feedback on what you've enjoyed hearing about. We had a big long break, and we've come back to talk about a much broader range of subjects than we have previously. So, what was interesting? What don't you want to hear ever again? The sound of my voice, I suspect, at this point. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today and all your expertise. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. I'm just busking now because I could tell Rafe Blanford wasn't paying attention. <laughs> nice, nice. 
Uh, but you can get us on X. Or not really. Don't encourage them, is what Ben says. So you can find us at 361podcast.com. There are links to all the ways you can contact us there, including private email if you prefer that. Uh, a couple more episodes left in this season. We are going to be talking about uh, nostalgia in part of anything. We're going to be talking about BlackBerry and Nokia on TV. Yeah. Some more. We're going to be revisiting smart homes. And we might even be talking about virtual reality and augmented reality some more. All of those topics on the list, many more others to go. I'm also feeling like a very old man, so I'm going to wedge in the topic of wellness and of ergonomics as well before we end up this season. As ever, gentlemen, thank you very much. Love you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, listeners. Hey, Rafe Blanford has woken up, and we will be back in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so, not car related. I am livid okay. uh, this evening. Oh dear. Why? Well, as we record this, I mean, this will go out well after, but as we record this, it's sort of new iPhone season. I deviated from my normal plan of just giving my iPhone back to Apple. Yeah. Normally, I just return it to Apple, take the trade in, and, and, and trade up. And this year, I had 10 minutes. So, I went online and I did a comparison thing you know there's one of those aggregators you can say i've got an iphone and it says oh here are 10 people that will you know let you trade it in with them and here's the prices you give it's great the prices are pretty good and i'll pick this one not a name i know but lots of reviews and on the aggregator and i filled in the form and they sent me a pack to return the phone and actually it was all very smooth very efficient they sent me a shipping label and everything and i literally boxed it up this evening ready to go off tomorrow please return it within 14 days. I think I'm on day five. So, you know, well, well within the timescale requested. And then this evening they've emailed and said, I'm sorry, we don't need any more of your phone deals off. Oh, oh what a pain. What a pain. Because crucially, I suspect what's, what's happened is, well, what I've discovered has happened is uh, they've probably realised that the prices of that phone have dropped because lots of people are trading them in. And you locked in a good price before the... Well, I, I mean, I felt I was happy with the price. I, I don't know whether it was, you know, sort of particularly in my favour or not, but it was the same. It was a close price to what most of the other purchasers were offering. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, one, right. one place offered £1,000 and everybody else offered £500. It was £10 more than the next one. So it wasn't, it wasn't loads. But uh, yeah, that's really annoying. I know, I think it's very frustrating because, of course, throughout the transaction, they're very keen to remind you, you know, that, you are bound to this offer for 14 days. You must return it within 14 days. This is the price. Yeah, it's only yeah. guaranteed for 14 days. I'm not entirely sure how they can back out of that deal once I accepted it. I'm sure there must be a clause somewhere in some legal agreement. Oh, I bet. bet they, yeah, due to, you know, force majeure. Well, I don't know. Yeah. And us not making as much money as we want, we can back out of it. Well, I think there's the answer, but I'm feeling I should have just done the easy option. I, sh- I should have accepted less money and uh, and done the Apple trading version because this was just a pain. That's annoying. Yeah, don't use any of these. But I always use Envirophone, and across many years, they've never failed me. Yeah, I've I've used Envirophone in the past. I mean, a few good few years back now, I have used Envirophone in the past, and I also sent things off to I think it's is it Mizuma is another brand. Yeah. And they were fine. And actually, this this site looks like and is reviewed like and offered a similar price to all of those. I'm not going to name them just in case I've made a terrible mistake and it's me that's in the wrong. We'll, we'll find yeah. out. But, you know, kind of certainly it was very much of that ilk, you know, it wasn't anything special. And so it's deeply frustrating because it's faff and I don't need faff, you know. So that's, that's mm. deeply, deeply, deeply annoying. Move on. That's my irritating story. I'm busy creating a, a huge um, bonfire of lightning cables in our house. Actually, no, I can't because <laughs> nearly everything on my desk will charge with USB-C, but nearly every other device in the place still needs lightning. So, you know, I think we're saddled with lightning for the foreseeable. I got a message from my gadgets, oh man, guy. Of course, I'm not a man anymore. I'm in Riyadh at the minute. Yes. Saying, hey, we've got two iPhones, two watches for you, more or less, because he knows I always buy them from him. Yeah. We've held them back. You know, yeah, you, are you ready? And I had to say, no, sorry. So this Saturday, he says that we'll have them either Friday or Saturday. Yeah. Right, and we'll rush them to you. Uh, What a great service that was. I loved that. Loved that. You paid a slight premium, slight premium to get it the opening weekend. But anyway, I said, look, I might be in Muscat soon, but I think I'll just, I'm going to try and use Very to buy my my new iPhones this time. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, uh, we probably wouldn't talk about iPhones anymore. It's just, uh, 
as always, I just buy the new one with the cameras because whilst the uh, yeah. the child is small, you have to take lots of pictures. So uh, I it. want the best possible camera. But um, I upgraded to uh, iOS 17. I have been enjoying this the standby mode with the widgets. It feels very much like a precursor to a, a HomePod with a screen, for sure. Right. Really does. I haven't really got uh, yeah. Oh, I've got one more thing to tell you. One more interesting story yes. to tell you. Go on. And Rafe, 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 Rafe Bamford nearly swallowed his <laughs> own head. Apart. He's yawning so hard. <laughs> uh, go on, what are you going to tell us? Did you ever notice that sometimes when you run your hand across your Apple MacBook, it feels like it sort of vibrates or it slightly tingles sometimes? No. Yes, I've noticed that. And also, Ewan, do you know when we were recording sometimes, when you're recording with your setup at home with a proper microphone rather proper, than yes. a, a headset yeah. that you're using now, sometimes we just get that hum. Mm-hmm. I've finally worked out what it is. Okay. It's the difference between grounded and ungrounded power supplies. So okay. Apple's larger power supplies, you know how the top comes off so that you can put in a US pins or UK pins or European yes. pins and they plug in. Yes. You notice when that, when that comes off, the little tab that everything slides onto, sometimes it's plastic and sometimes it's metal, silver. So when it's silver metal, that's providing a grounding through the plug. Some of the cheaper or smaller power supplies, or crucially, some third-party power supplies, most third-party power supplies, just come with like a standard two-wire lead. I'm going to hold this up for you, Ewan. Like the figure of eight connector, like in the back of the charger. Yes. There's no grounding in that charger. And there's nothing wrong Mm. with that charger. That's a good, high-quality charger. It works fine. Yeah. But it's no grounding. So when you touch the metal case with your hand, you are the grounding loop. Mm, mm. Exactly. So when you take your hand off, there's the buzz. When you put your hand on, you provide the grounding loop. And I thought, I am going mad with feeling this like little tingle. Yeah. And also, you know, with hearing this buzzing noise in certain headphones yes. and so, and realize actually it's down to the chargers. And it's specifically a challenge with Apple laptops, although the other brands are affected, basically brands with metal uh, shells. So you need well-grounded chargers or you need to not mind too much. And I, I typed it in and there's a whole segment of the internet of people going, am I going mad or does my or- laptop tingle when <laughs> I touch it? And like, wow. the, you know, kind of long conversation. So I'll link it up in the show notes. But I was just like, so it's like the, for 20 years, I haven't known why this is happening. Why like sometimes you just put your fingers down on your laptop and it just feels a bit tingly. Like, why is that tingling today? It's the grounding. There you go. There you go. So I've done a terrible job of explaining the physics. I'm sure Ref Blanford, if he hadn't swallowed his head yawning, would explain it better to me. But if you're fussy about that, you need grounded chargers. And that's why my fancy charger at home that I'm normally plugged into is fine because right. it's got a, an earth pin and why the travel charger is all tingly. There you go. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've used up all my corrections for the day. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> wow. Okay. 